Part 2 of Chapter 2 of The Escaping Club This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Omri Lernau, Jerusalem. Chapter 2 in The Escaping Club by A. J. Evans One More Run, Part 2 The next night's walk was the most terrible experience that I have ever had. All night, till 4.30 the next morning, I found no water, and without water I could scarcely eat. Toward morning I could only breathe with difficulty. My tongue and throat seemed to have swollen, and I made a harsh, whistling noise when I breathed. I tried sucking various herbs, and eventually tried the leaves of the cactus, which seemed to give momentary relief, so I put some bits of it in my pocket. The loneliness was oppressive past all belief, and I longed for a companion. But the only noises were the occasional bark of a dog from an Arab village and the almost continual wailing of the jackals. The going was for the most part very bad, always up or downhill, and was made more difficult by the clouds which obscured the moon for a good part of the night. In the valley which I had to cross, the ground for a mile or more was strewn thickly with loose boulders, varying in size from a football to a grand piano. The boulders lay on loose shingles so that they slipped or moved if you stepped on them, and in the cracks and crevices between the boulders were thick thorn bushes. In my exhausted state, and in the dim light, it was a nightmare getting through this place. I fell repeatedly trying to jump from one boulder to another, and my clothes were much torn and my face and hands were bleeding freely before I got out of that dreadful place. Once I collapsed, and as I lay on the ground I fell asleep. Half an hour later I woke and, feeling rather better, pushed on again. About 3.30 a.m. I got through the hills and on to the flat country which borders the coast. If I could have found water earlier, I believe I should have reached the coast that night, but it was not till about 4.30 a.m. that I found a square hole in a rock half full of water. I drank that dry. A few hundred yards further on, I heard men talking, and going forward cautiously, saw Turkish soldiers seated round a small fire. Making a detour, I marched on for half a mile, and then heard a man call out on my right. There was only a dim light, as the moon was half hidden by clouds, and I could not see the men. Another man answered him on the left, and I realized that I was passing through a line of sentries. But if I could not see them, they could not see me, so I pushed on till I suddenly saw a troop of cavalry advancing on me. I dropped to the ground and curled myself round a small bush about two feet high and lay quite still. It was the only possible thing to do. The cavalry came straight toward me, and it was not till they were ten yards off that I saw that there was only one horseman, 
and that he was driving half a dozen cattle before him. The cattle passed a yard or two to my right and left, but the horse actually stepped over my head without touching me. I felt most thankful when they had disappeared from sight and realized that I must now be in the middle of a Turkish military area. However, as there was no hiding place of any sort to be seen, I walked on once more, keeping a very careful lookout both for the Turks and for a hiding place. I soon found the letter. It was a patch of corn, about an acre in size, so I crawled into it and lay down in the middle, feeling fairly secure. It was a great pity to lose half an hour of darkness, but I knew that an hour or two's walk would bring me to the coast, and it might be difficult to find a better hiding place in that flat country. Once more I suffered a great deal from the heat and the thirst, but found to my surprise that cornstalks give no shade from a sun which beats almost straight down. That evening it began to rain, and as soon as the sun set, it became pitch dark. When it was so dark that a man could not be seen at five yards distance, I left my cornfield and marched due west. I had taken my bearings from the sun during the day, so that even if there were no stars, I should know by landmarks in which direction I was walking. Soon all landmarks were blotted out by the inky darkness and pelting rain, and I began to realize that it might be possible to lose my way even when within one hour's walk of the sea. Owing to the rain, the going was rather heavy, being mostly over cultivated land, and when I had been walking for half an hour, I began to feel fearfully tired. I staggered rather than walked, and could scarcely put one clay-laden foot before the other. Quite suddenly I collapsed, and lay on the ground totally unable to move. I managed to put my hand over my heart, and could feel that it was running most irregularly, and misfiring in the most extraordinary way. After about a quarter of an hour, it got much better, so I had a few mouthfuls of bread and went on again. Before long, I came on a field of things that looked like beans. I tried eating them, but they seemed to clog up my throat and made me feel worse than before. For the next hour, I guided myself by the croaking of the frogs in the marshes, which I knew ran parallel to the sea and only a few miles away from it. When I reached the marshes it had stopped raining, but the clouds were so dense that I could see no moon or stars. I had rather struggled crossing the marshes and in some places was up to my waist in mud and water. Once my feet almost stuck and as I dragged them out, the soles of both my shoes tore off the uppers. I bound them on again as well as I could, and then walked on again in the direction I thought was right. For the next four hours I pushed on at a good pace, hoping against hope that every step would show me the sea. 
but it was not to be. My shoes were so uncomfortable that much of the time I went barefooted, but there were many stones and thistles about, and I hurt my feet and made poor progress. At about 3 a.m. I got a glimpse of the moon and saw that I was walking northeast instead of west. Heaven knows where I was or for how long I had been walking in a totally wrong direction. For all I knew, I might have walked ten miles from the sea in the last four hours. Then the moon went in again and the rain came on. Soon after that, I ran into an encampment of some sort and was chased by dogs. They followed me some way barking, but did not attack me. Then I got tangled up in more marshes, and in the darkness lost my direction again, hopelessly. As it began to get light, I found myself near some quite nice-looking stone buildings, and sitting down in an orchard in the pouring rain, I debated what to do. I was very exhausted and most dejected at my ill luck. Our lines could not be less than 18 miles away, so that even if I hit the coast very early in the following night, I should not cross the lines without two more nights marching, and still worse, two more days of lying hid. I was desperately hungry, and my food was almost exhausted. If captured, I could only expect very rough treatment, and I wished to keep a little strength in hand to stand that. Added to this, my feet were in such a condition that walking was most painful. But that which finally made me decide to give myself up was that for the last two hours I had come across no spot which would serve as a hiding place. How I longed to have Buckley with me. If he had been here, I think we should have encouraged each other to carry on for one more night at any rate. However, I can't blame myself too much, as I was in a pretty hopeless position. The remembrance of the whole adventure annoys me beyond words. I was so near success. That last night is to me a tragedy. What is to come is sheer comedy. The house where I had made up my mind to give myself up was a square stone two-storied building with a wooden veranda along one side. It was surrounded by a high wall in which there was an iron gate. Finding the gate shut, I turned my attention to a wooden outbuilding. In one of the windows a faint light was showing. I banged on the door and after a minute or two it was opened by a small dark man in trousers and shirt and bare feet. He appeared rather frightened and said some words which I did not understand. I tried him in German, saying that I wanted shelter and food, as I had had practically nothing to eat for sixty hours and was drenched to the skin. He had no difficulty in guessing what I wanted, if he did not understand. He went back into the room and put on some boots and a coat. The room seemed almost completely bare except for a number of people who were sleeping 
rolled in blankets on the floor or on very low beds. Soon the men came out again and shouted toward the house in a language which I guessed to be Hebrew, as there was no mistaking his nationality. After much shouting, a man of pronounced Jewish type came to the gate. We had some difficulty in understanding each other as he spoke a thick and almost incomprehensible German. He wanted to know who I was and what I wanted, and as he learned, much to his surprise, was most unwilling to have anything to do with me. The prospect of immediate food and shelter made me quite callous about the more remote future, so I said he could send for the Turks in the morning if he would only take me in for the night. At that he opened the gate and beckoned to me to follow him. After mounting some wooden steps outside the house to the balcony, he brought me into a room which stank most horribly of stale humanity and garlic. The room was quite bare, except for two beds and a sort of a couch, on which men were lying rolled in blankets. They gave me some incredibly disgusting cold rissoles, mainly made of garlic, which nearly made me sick, but I managed to eat two or three of them. In this extraordinary household they all appeared to go to bed in their day clothes, and looked and smelled as if they had never washed from the day they were born. I think they meant to be kind to me, but they were very frightened and miserably poor in food and utensils of every sort. They made signs to me to lie on a bed, which one of them vacated, so I took off most of my wet clothes and fell asleep instantly. End of part two in One More Run in chapter two of The Escaping Club by A. J. Evans.